everyone. I'm Linda McHenry with The Writer's Voice. And today my guest is Deborah Bocur, author of The Fire Thief, a crime drama mystery. How are you, Deborah? I'm, I'm very well. Thanks, Linda. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? It was released last month, right? It was. It was released at the end of May, and it's a, it's a as you mentioned, a crime drama mystery that's set in Hawaii. And uh, my lead character is a Hawaiian detective named Kali Mahoe, and she is not only a detective, but she has a degree in Polynesian history and uh, comes from a family where the, the spiritual traditions and the religion and the herbology and and all of those things of Hawaii are very important factors in her upbringing. So she kind of uses her knowledge about those things to help solve crimes. Uh-huh. That sounds very interesting. Now, later on, we're going to talk about how writing and editing professionally with nonfiction didn't prepare you for fiction. But since you mentioned your, your heroine, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it was like to do the research and delve into all that culture? I mean, were you familiar with Hawaii beforehand? Well, I'll tell you the story. I was working for a magazine and I was the managing editor and we were invited to attend a food festival that was being held on the big island of Hawaii. So I assigned the food editor to go. It seemed like a natural for her. And at the very last minute, she couldn't go. I think one of her kids was sick, but she couldn't make it. And I was the only available person to make the trip. And because the Hawaii Tourism Board had already gone to all the trouble of making the arrangements, I kind of felt obligated to go. But I think I complained like the whole way to the airport. I, I didn't want to go on this trip. I had lived in Florida briefly and I'm not a hot weather person. I thought I've seen enough palm trees in my life. I, I don't need to see another one. And I got to Hawaii and got off the plane and smelled the air and heard the birds and just like fell head over heels in love and, and still am in love with it. But over the course of the next, I would say, 15 years, I was sent back multiple times by different magazines that I was working for to explore the culture and the history a little bit more. And I got to do a lot of firsthand research. I got to go on um, some healing calls with a local uh, kahu. And I spent probably a, about a month there filming a documentary with my um, husband that was never produced, but we filmed the documentary about ancient healing traditions in Hawaii and how they have found their way into, kind of like into the, the modern world there and how they blended with traditional modalities from Japanese culture and from you know, all of the different peoples who have, have settled in Hawaii. So it was really interesting and it took a lot of research because I didn't really know much about Hawaii before, before going. I knew that it was hot and it had beaches. I was about it. <laughs> well, and you know, that's, that's, that's really interesting. That's kind of neat. And it makes me wonder, you wrote and edited professionally nonfiction many, many years. And when you and I were chatting, you said it didn't prepare you at all <laughs> for writing fiction. And I've had just the opposite experience. So why don't you tell us about how writing and editing professionally in nonfiction just didn't give you quite the experience level you had expected when you attempted to write fiction. Okay, then maybe you can give me some tips on how it does work <laughs> the other <laughs> way. Yeah, I would say, so I had worked for newspapers for a long time. I was a newspaper editor before I became a magazine editor. And one thing that I guess the one and only thing that really did carry over across all of those different publishing platforms was meeting deadlines. But when you're working for a newspaper, you have maybe sometimes an hour or two hours to put a story together. So you write really fast and you write very succinctly. 
you know, you have to know the who, what, where, when, and why of a, any sort of situation that's going on. And then moving to magazines, the, I had a little bit more room and a little bit more time to work because the magazine was monthly. And there was a little more time to research topics or a lot of what I did was editing other writers, assigning stories to other writers and editing their work. And then when I sat down to write a book, I, I think I wrote the whole book in about two pages. <laughs> it's like, there's the story, you know, it's like, here's what happens. Uh, here's how they, they find the killer and there's the end. It's like, how do I make that into a book? So I struggled with it. It took about two years to, to stretch everything out. And even when I did stretch it out, each chapter came out to be about roughly the length of a magazine article. And when I sent a thousand it, words, huh? <laughs> a thousand <laughs> words. And I sent it to a couple of uh, writer friends, you know, just for some feedback. And they all came back with, uh-huh. So what you did was you strung together, you know, 42 articles um, at a thousand words each, and that's not working. You've got to think like a book. So it was really tough for me. It was very difficult. For most people I know with fiction, you know, when you start working, writing fiction, and then you go to nonfiction, which is what I had done, you write all these great, big, long, flowery, wordy things, and you've got way too many words, and then you have to cut them. And it's painful because you're attached to all of them. You think that they're necessary, but then you have to realize you really only need the who, what, when, where, and why, but with motivation and with feelings and with setting and with the senses. So both processes are pretty difficult, I think. But what I think is probably the most important is you knew about deadlines. Mm. You knew that you could write on spec. If there was something you had to write, you could do it. And I think that's something that a lot of people who write fiction have a hard time with because they're so creative and so many people don't outline first. And if they're just writing um, organically, it's it can be really difficult. Do you outline? I always have outlined, but I outline the beginning real well, the really important parts and the end, and then have to fill everything in. Mm, okay. And now I'm finding that I outline less and less because I attended a workshop and Gail Linz gave this workshop about plotting. And she said that plotting comes from characters. So you don't really need a plot that as the characters respond and, you know, you have your, your, your villains and all this kind of stuff, plot can just grow out of motivation. So I use that as well. And that's, I find that pretty helpful. Now that took me by surprise entirely was that characters do dictate plot. And I, I didn't expect that. It's like, no, I'm, con I'm the writer. I'm here at the keyboard. I'm in control of all of this. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the characters are doing things that I never in a, you know, a million years would have anticipated that they would do or say. And that's been a lot of fun because you don't get to, to do that with a magazine article. Clearly, you know, it's. No, and, and they're not you. When you're writing in the first person or in the second person and you're doing magazine articles or newspaper columns, I've done both. Yeah, you're, you're writing your, even if you're objective, it's still coming from you. You're not somebody different. Right. When you write characters, they are completely different. You identify with them, but they don't necessarily think the way you do or act the way you do. Yeah. I, I read somewhere, I can't remember who said it, but it was someone who said that people who write fiction um, all have some, like some degree of multiple personality disorder because, <laughs> you know, because they can draw these, these people so clearly and, and, and um, differentiate between them so well. So I don't know. Yes. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's true. I do think, though, adding words is tougher than cutting words. Mm. 
and so you know so if you if you do your your thousand word article and you have to beef it up to 1800 words it's it's much much tougher i think to add than it is to just subtract yeah so what is your big takeaway then after you completed the first fiction novel do you like fiction better than nonfiction? i do, do you think you're going to do more of it yeah i've just finished the so the second book um is coming out next year but it, of course well, that was the other thing, though. The publishing deadlines are so different. You know, the, the mm -hmm. newspaper deadline was 11 o'clock every morning. It was a daily newspaper. So it's like 11 o'clock. Everything is edited and turned in. Photos are laid out. It's done. You know, at the end of the month, the magazine is mm -hmm. done. And this process was, you know, two years to write it and then a year just for the, the production and going back and forth with the editor and you know, and then the publicity stuff, and it, it was just this, I don't know, kind of like a, a whole different world. And I, I felt like I had stepped through that wardrobe into a place that, you know, should have been familiar, but was, was not familiar at all. So it's been fun. It's been a learning experience. I think that I did a better job with the second book. I think I did a better job outlining it and plotting it and keeping on track. I knew my, my characters a little bit better. And uh, I, I have to send it off at, uh, I think it's due July 1st, July 1st or 2nd, something like that. Mm -hmm. I have to send it off. So I have a, a few more weeks to play with it and tweak it. And then, then it goes. So Deborah, why don't you tell me and share with my guests some of the tips that you have as an editor that can be transferred from nonfiction to fiction? What are some of the editing tips that you might have for them? Well, you know, I think one of the things that um, all writers, fiction and nonfiction, might struggle with, depending on the length of, of the piece that they're working on, is keeping track of things. When I was writing the first book, I found it a little bit difficult to keep track of what did this person look like, you know, as I was developing uh, the, the, the uh, secondary characters in the book. So my bad guy shows up and, you know, he's bald and he's about six feet. And then I bring him back into the book a couple chapters later and I have to remember that he's six feet tall and bald. So I kept a little file and uh, I kept it on my computer, but I also kept a stack of index cards where I would write out uh, the name of the character on the top of each card and then their characteristics so that I would have a quick reference in front of me because I kind of felt felt like I was getting lost a little bit, keeping track of those things. But if you can find an organizational system that works for you, I think that it will help you to not get lost in those details so that you can keep writing your story and not interrupt the flow of, of telling the story that you're telling. So that was, uh, that's something that I used to do with nonfiction as well. It's like if I were, was interviewing people and I needed to like have a quick reference point for what, you know, what uh, association this person might have been um, affiliated with or what school or something like that, I would keep a little cheat sheet so that I could just go back quickly and look at those things and reference them correctly in the story. So I thought that was useful. Um, outlining is something I still struggle with. So I'd love to know what you do. I have done tons of research and I have a whole notebook, that writing tips notebook. I keep it in Microsoft OneNote. And whenever I do reading, I'm a member of a number of, of writers organizations, uh, Sisters in Crime, Mystery Writers um, of America and Romance Writers of America. And, you know, you, you read the articles, you read the newsletters, you read the, the magazines. And when I see something that strikes me, I write it down. So I have collected all kinds of things about plotting and books, you know, there are certain things that you want. You have the beginning, the end, the high points, the, all the different things. 
So I've collected a list of what is important to me, what I want in my books. And I know that they have to fall roughly at a certain point in time. And so I know what those are and I'll jot them down. But for me, what what's kind of evolved more is is plotting from the characters. So I've been using Scrivener now for the past year or so. And it allows me to keep every single thing that I do with a particular book in one place. Because before I'd use Word, I'd use Excel, I'd use OneNote, and I'd had different things in different places. And now I, I do Scrivener. And I, I've created a table, for, for example, characters. And it does what you do about keeping track of them, but it also helps me outline. I have the name of the character, the age, and then whenever I find myself writing something, a description, you know, how tall they are, what their hair color is, what the street is that they live on. I've created this table that I use as a template for all my characters, the words that they say that are unique to them. So I can keep track of that. But that also helps me outline because in that list, I have a list of things that I identify with as a writer, as a human being, okay, and things I don't identify with. And when I get to those points, you know, like I know something's got to happen. I know I've got to, you know, after the first three or four chapters, you have to like go off in a different direction. I can look at all that and I can say, okay, what direction would this character go in? Of course, the first five things you think of, you can't do because everybody else is going to think of it as well. So again, it's, it's one of those things where everybody has to come up with what works for them. Do you want to strictly outline every single thing? Like I know there are readers who they'll write a three page outline for every chapter. And then when they're done, they go back and fill it in and there's their book. And then other people see a scene. Oh, I see a character on a mountain in Colorado. And they decide that, all right, I'm going to write that scene. And then they can see the character doing something else. So there's really no one answer that I have found to it. I think most of us use some combination of the pantsing plotting thing that you hear about, writing organically and coming up with a plot. And I mean, I was just reading a book by Donald Moss, and I'll give you the I'll, I'll, I'll email you about it. Someone recommended it to me about characterization. And he says that there are plenty of really well-known, best-selling books that don't have a plot. There's no plot. It's just all about character. And the character decides what's going to happen based on motivation. And as long as the reader is interested, finds the character interesting, is wondering about what's going to happen, is angsting, you know, there's suspense. That's what readers want. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you can plot yourself into corners. You know, it's like, and it doesn't give room for the characters to do something unexpected or, or interesting. Yeah. So I think you have to be careful not to, to overdo that. I find that when a story occurs to me, I know how it starts. There's always something in my head that would be the beginning of a story. And I know how it's going to end. And then, you know, it's like making notes about things that could happen that lead up to that ending are the things that I expand upon. One of the things I've done recently is plotting backwards. And I found this has been really, really helpful. The book I'm working in now, there's a scene where a fire takes place. Talking about fire, my, my title is Fireproof. Yeah. Anyway, I know who the arsonist is, but I'm having a hard time getting from the beginning to the end. Like I know who he is, but I've got to come up with a reason why. Well, I plotted it backwards. Okay, he said fire to this house, why? Well, he's upset at this, well, why? And how did we get there? And I literally worked the whole thing backward from him. And now I have a few things, because I'm about three quarters of the way through the book, but now I have to go through and revise a few things 
you know, because that's the truth of what happened. So for me, you know, some people can just, just write and they get there. For me, there are certain things I have to know about because as the plot takes place and as the journey goes, other people have to react to that person. So sometimes taking the villain or the, the biggest challenge and knowing what the end is like you do, working that thread or theme backwards then helps you sometimes move the others forward. Yeah. You know, one of the things I worried about the whole time I was writing was because I knew who the killer was, I felt like there was no way I could hide it. You know, that no, no matter how mysterious I tried to make it or how deeply I tried to, to bury the clues or throw people off the track or anything, that it, it just wasn't going to work. And it was because I knew who the killer was the whole time. So I, I angsted about that quite a bit. And when I gave it to people to read a group of writer friends that we, you know, exchange things with. Mm -hmm. They were all very surprised who the killer was. And that was, for me, that was like the biggest hurdle that I had to, to get over. And that's where your beta readers come in handy. They're so, so important. They let you know those kinds of things. And, and, and this brings us to the final topic we're going to discuss today is research. You need to do your research. You need to know what mm -hmm. you're talking about and the importance of having other people look at it. A lot of people think, well, if it's fiction, you can completely make it up. And you uh, and I both know when it's nonfiction, it has to be right. true. And fiction, yeah, you do have some latitude, but it's got to be true too. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think one of the things that fiction writers don't take into consideration is that you need to know, even if you're going to change the facts about something, you need to know what the real facts are so that what, what you're writing is believable within that context. And I think a lot of people make that mistake. So if I had, I don't know, I guess just as an example, if I had put a giant city on Maui when there isn't, there's, you know, there are two, two or three small towns. If I had put a Honolulu-sized city on Maui, nobody would have believed that. That would have kind of thrown off the whole tone of that setting. And I, I didn't know that there weren't any cities like that on, on Maui until I, I actually went there and, you know, drove around and saw what it was. And another mistake that I almost made was I wanted to have my detective be in a canoe to go from one island to another. And, you know, you look at the maps and it's like, okay, that might, that's, that might work. Like the islands look like they're pretty close together. Then you get there and it's like somebody would die if they tried to paddle a canoe from one island to another. There's, the channels are deep and they're treacherous and the winds are fierce and, you know, the distances are vast. They're not the way they look on a map. You have to know what's possible before you can create the, you know, the fictional story within that, that context. You have to have some, some real parameters, I believe. It's funny that you mentioned that. And, and some of us, because I had an experience just this week that mirrors that. And I want to take it just a little further. So many of us have experience in a particular area and we think that we know. And then when we do our research, we find we don't. I've been in the insurance business yeah. for 40 years. I've handled claims. I've done all kinds of things. I've known and interviewed law enforcement officials, fire investigators, special investigative people who work in special investigation units. In this particular book, the, the story opens with the main character watching a fire. And I finally was able to pin down an arson investigator. Okay, we've been going back and forth about getting time to meet. And the entire fire, the way the fire went, the way I opened the book was not right. Okay, ah. from the length of time it would take to how much of the building was engaged to some other stuff. I mean, there was a whole bunch of stuff I got right, but there were some really key things that didn't. Like I had the whole building burning down. He said, no, based on where that is and the average response time of fire department, 
maybe 50% of the building would be engaged. Oh, interesting. Again, it's, it's really important, I think, to do your research. And it's not just nonfiction. In fiction, you have to do it as well. Yeah, I, I do. I th- and I think it makes your fiction better if, you know, if you know what's possible and what's not. Because you don't want the reader to be distracted by saying, what? You know, that, that couldn't possibly happen. That's ridiculous. Well, if someone's reading your book and they're a firefighter, they're going to say, wow, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And your, your credibility is destroyed, exactly. just like anything else. Well, thank you so much. So The Fire Thief is out. When is your next book coming out? Do you have a pub date yet? I do. August of 2021 is the All right. update. And, and what's the title of that book? The Bone Field. The Bone Field. Okay. Bone field. Yeah. And if people want to learn more about you or your book, they can go to your website, which is com. right? <laughs> yes. Really easy. Very, very original. <laughs> But hey, that's, you know, that's what you have to do. Mine is my name as well. Well, thanks so much. I've had a real good time chatting with you. Maybe you'll come back again in the future. Oh, thanks, Linda. It's been fun. That's it for this week's episode of The Writer's Voice. To listen to other guest episodes, visit my website at lindamchenry.com. You can also find links there to YouTube videos for some of the guests. Thank you. Thank you.